0: From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to talk about the uh, war in the Middle East. Bring in my great friend, uh, Ambassador John Bolton, former U.S. uh, National Security Advisor, former U.N. Ambassador, now Chairman of the Foundation for American Security and Freedom, and he's the author of The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir. Uh, Merry Christmas, John. Thanks for coming back on. Glad to be with you. Yeah, you're the best. So, John, I was talking about a bunch of things, uh, but here's a headline. Iranian spy ship helps Houthis direct attacks on Red Sea vessels, okay? They're the ones giving the Houthis the uh, intel to go after these ships in the Red Sea, which is causing chaos in shipping. And Joe Biden won't do anything about it, John. That's the general theme. So this is just one more one more piece of evidence. What is wrong with them?
1: Well, it's a it's a pretty sad day when the United States is not able to deter even the Houthis in Yemen, who who wouldn't have two rocks to rub together against naval assets in the Red Sea if it weren't for Iran. In, in fact, that Iranian naval vessel has been there for quite some time. It's got its own Purposes dealing with, with other shipments through the Red Sea. But I really think that until you make the Houthis pay a price for trying to shut the Red Sea and the and Suez Canal, uh, on the one hand, and the uh, Shia militia in Iraq, also armed, trained, and equipped and financed by Iran, who are attacking American military and civilian uh, personnel in Iraq, until you make them pay for it, they're never going to stop. And I think ultimately, in, in the not very far future, uh, that's got to include making Iran pay directly. Just making their surrogates feel pain is the right thing to do to reestablish deterrence. But but let's, f- you know, focus on what the real problem is here, and, and that's the
0: mullahs in Tehran. I want to come back to that because that's a key point. Uh, there's about 2,000 Houthis, is that right? Cash Patel was on the TV show telling me that. there's about 2,000 Houthis. It's about one tenth. Yeah, look, it's a rebel. It's
1: a rebel movement. There's been a civil war in Yemen for thirty years, and uh, and and the, the Houthi have been picked by Iran as their proxies because the the Iranians want to establish a strategic position in the backyard, in effect, of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. And and by the way, being located where they are uh, at the end, southern entrance to the Red Sea, they're in an incredibly important strategic position. So this is a dangerous operation uh, really it's it's a, it's a it's the it's the iron fist of the iranians in that part of the world
0: so why don't we take out some houthis
1: well that's what we should be doing and frankly we should have done it before and, and we could have done it before but but part of the administ- part of the biden administration's problem here is that they constantly live in fear uh, of what they call a wider conflict in the region, by which they mean having to deal with Iran. This is the direct analog to their fear in Ukraine of the Russians creating a larger war in Europe. With with what hidden assets, I don't know. But but we are the country being deterred in the Middle East by Iran in Ukraine by Russia. We're, we're not deterring the others, and it's very very straightforward. What's wrong with this
0: picture? So Joe Biden's the appeaser in chief. That's what it sounds to me. And that's you been true see it over and second. over
1: again. Yeah, no, listen, we have we haven't talked about China, but I think it's there in, in uh, an even more visible form. And, and frankly, right at this point, the Chinese see what's happening. We're weak in Ukraine. We're weak in the Middle East. If they're not saying to themselves in Beijing, how can we take advantage of the Biden administration before it leaves office? I'd be very surprised.
0: So uh, apparently, according to news reports, She told Biden in San Francisco that he was going to take Taiwan. He would like to take it in a peaceful way, but he's going to take Taiwan now. I don't know what your intel sources are. Did he really say that? But that proves your point.
1: Look, I I think he's very serious about it. You know, sometimes you ought to listen to your adversaries when they tell you what they're going (laughs) to do. You know, occasionally they mean it. Yes. Uh, the Chinese know, and the timing of that uh, remark to Biden was not accidental. There's a key presidential election in Taiwan in January, uh, so it's it's right up upon us uh, to determine whether they'll get a government that's going to insist on uh, keeping free people ruling in Taiwan, or, or one that's going to lean toward Beijing. This is part of the intimidation that's consistent with they're putting naval ships and, and uh, fighter planes over in in Taiwanese uh, territorial waters and airspace all part of trying to intimidate the people of Taiwan. I think it will backfire, but as from what it reveals of what China's real intentions are, it couldn't be clearer.
0: I mean, what kind of position are we in to stop that, to prevent that? Well, I don't
1: think we're ready yet. I, th- I think this is another problem of failure of deterrence. It's not simply a Biden administration problem. It goes back a long way. Uh, we've taken some steps to correct it. Uh, we, we need to do a lot more. And it's, it's one reason why I think this question of america's place in the world and how we protect our interests and and the way of life we have here at home is, is so very important i mean under under biden this has been a uh, a, a basically a retreat on uh, one area after another and uh, I, I think our friends and allies around the world are getting very nervous
0: so let me come back <clears throat> to the middle east and to iran uh i don't know if the 10 billion dollars has been transferred for the electricity payments or not. I think the $6 billion was frozen. But the fact that the Bidens actually would prefer to get that money over to Iran, money, of course, is fungible for other nefarious purposes. I mean, what does that tell you? What, do you, what is their thinking? You've got this guy, Jake Sullivan. You've got Anthony Blinken, John uh To me, it's extraordinary. The notion that we're giving money or we would give money or we want to give money to our enemy. How is this possible? Well, it goes to
1: to one of the Biden administration's biggest mistakes, which is this uh, mythical belief. It was true throughout the Obama administration that if you could just convince the Ayatollahs in Tehran Uh, that we weren't out to destroy them, suddenly peace and light would break out and everything Mm. would be fine in the Middle East. That's completely wrong. But to this day, the administration has not given up trying to get back into the failed 2015 uh, nuclear deal, as you well know, we withdrew from in 2018. Uh, and, And they have reduced enforcement of the economic sanctions against Uh, Tehran that were put back into place after we withdrew in 2018. So Iran is now selling oil at levels equivalent to what they were selling before the sanctions were reimposed, uh, primarily to China they've grown closer both to beijing and to moscow they're selling the russians drones to use in the war against the ukrainians i think really iran is becoming part of the of the new uh, uh, russian chinese axis uh, and they're demonstrating in many ways and
0: still the biden administration doesn't get it yeah so what <laughs> what would you do you were the toughest guy in the trump administration on iran and i think uh you know your statements prove to be correct now because the worst, the worst of this is getting worse. So why why don't the Bidens? Why wouldn't any administration not only want to hit the Houthis, but isn't it time? I mean, Jack Keane says this, John. Uh, we have to hit some Iranian targets too. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's kind of like Soleimani to the third power or some such.
1: Yeah, look, uh, the, the, to, uh, to the, the government in Tehran, the Houthi rebels, the Shia militia in Iraq are expendable. Uh, uh, we, we may impose costs on them, although we have imposed precious few in the past three months after the Hamas attack on Israel. Until the Ayatollahs feel pain in Iran, we are not going to reestablish deterrence. But, but these, these attacks in the Red Sea and in Iraq and Syria are all linked to supporting Hamas, uh, in its continuing battle with Israel and it started back on October the 7th it's this is this is directed and coordinated by Iran we don't know what their full strategy is but the outlines are clear enough and one thing we could do to impose cost on all of them is to allow Israel to do what it says it needs to do mm. which is eliminate Hamas's capability uh, militarily and politically and not succumb to the pressure from the fashionable left in Uh, Europe, and and, uh, this country to to try and stop what's going on. The Israelis need to be able to finish the job.
0: Uh, We're talking to uh, Ambassador John Bolton, uh, former U.S. uh, National Security Advisor and former U.N. Ambassador. John's book is uh, the, The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir. He's now Chairman of the Foundation for American Security and Freedom. John, I'd like to talk some more about Russia and the Ukraine and I'd like to talk some more about Israel. You've got, another, you've got time for another segment. Uh, please sure hang do. on. All right, you're terrific, stuff. Um, it's so wonderful to have you on the radio. You're like a regular on this show. It's great stuff, and Merry Christmas, Glad folks. Do. I'm, I'm going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back to talk some more with uh, the great John Bolton. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking to Ambassador John Bolton, former uh, National Security Advisor during the Trump administration, former U.N. Ambassador, Chairman of the Foundation for American Security and Freedom, and John's book is entitled The Room Where It Happened, a White House Memoir. Uh, John, there's a story playing about uh, taking Russian assets. The Western banks, United States, uh, Germany, a few others, uh, may be holding $300 billion in Russian assets, which they confiscated or froze from the Russian Central Bank. And that they would use that money. Uh, I guess David Cameron, back as the foreign minister in London, has uh, been pressing the U.S. Uh, Zelensky talks uh, talked about this when he was here. Uh, anyway, that they would use that money to finance Ukraine. So that's one way of doing it. Of course, Putin's going ballistic over the mere thought of this. What do you think of that? Is that was would that be something that uh, would work? Would that be something that you would advocate?
1: Well, I think there's there's a lot of merit to it, but I think we've got to be careful about it in this sense. A lot of other countries around the world see this freezing of assets and worries about what it may mean for them. I think the thing to do with this money is continue to hold it frozen. But when the time comes, and we're obviously not there yet, but when the time comes and the hostilities are over in Ukraine and hopefully the Russians have been pushed out, the reconstruction costs in Ukraine are going to be phenomenal. And I think that's where we say to the Russians, uh, part of any truce with you of, of, of any suspension of hostilities is going to be your agreement to these assets being used for Ukrainian reconstruction. I think that's a pretty powerful leverage tool, I'm not in any way trying to exonerate the Russians. They were the, the clearly the unprovoked aggressors here. But I think using these assets the right way will do uh, powerful things for Ukraine but not endanger our position and and worry people about our use of the dollar in other cases.
0: You know, you were talking earlier about the China threat and so forth. You think about it, John, China is financing two wars against the United States, one in Ukraine and uh, one in the Middle East, purchasing uh, imports of both Russian oil and Iranian oil. I mean, China's becoming a paymaster. Now, I never see a discussion of this, uh, but that's clearly what's happening. You know, you mentioned how Iran has built up its sales. They're running about three and a half million barrels a day sales uh, because the sanctions have been lifted or relaxed. But the same is true. China buying Russian oil, um, I'm sure it's at a discount. But, I mean, I don't know why the Bidens – why didn't Joe Biden complain about that when he met with Xi in San Francisco? I mean, we should be raising holy hell. China is becoming the paymaster uh, in Russia and uh, and uh, Iran. Well, I think you're exactly
1: right. And this, this is why this new Russian-Chinese alliance is the reverse of what we knew in the Cold War days. This time, China is clearly the dominant partner and Russia is the subordinate partner. But here again, I think the Biden administration is, is so fearful of uh, what it thinks China could do to it that it's unwilling to take steps along the lines you mentioned or to deal with, as you well know, the, the longstanding, continuing threat of Chinese uh, pirating of our intellectual property. Yes. I yes. think I think I think the Biden administration Uh, is consumed with the idea it needs a climate change agreement with China, and it doesn't want to do anything to jeopardize it. It's been true from from day one when John Kerry was made the special envoy. And, you know, just so everybody knows, I'm sure the Chinese would be happy to agree to a climate change agreement. They just don't intend to comply with any obligations. (laughs) They undertake the whole thing. Uh, is chasing a mirage. But that that's a major part of why the administration won't stand up to China. And, again, this is something I think people around the world can see. It's another
0: aspect of the administration's general weakness. John, is the, is the Ukraine war in a stalemate position, or how do you read that?
1: Well, I think it is at the moment. There are press reports that Putin is uh, – conducting some uh, diplomacy to try and get the negotiations started. Frankly, that wouldn't surprise me. If I were in Putin's shoes, I'd say, look, uh, this war has gone on long enough. Let's have a ceasefire and start negotiation. And the line of control in the ceasefire then becomes his new border with Ukraine. I think the administration has mishandled the aid that we've given. It was never deployed in a strategic fashion. And I think now we're seeing the consequences. So the course of the next year, I think, is going to be very difficult. Nobody should underestimate the, the, uh, the sentiment within the Democratic Party. We've seen the left wing emerge in, uh, in the case of the pro-Palestinian position many have taken in Israel's war against Hamas. There are plenty on the left wing of the Democratic Party, very uneasy about Biden's military assistance to Ukraine. They, they want it, they want Biden to advocate negotiations, and I think in the next year it could happen. I'm very worried uh,
0: about what's going to happen on Ukraine. I mean, it just looks like Biden. It's always looked like Biden is more fearful of Russia than Russia is of him. Biden is more fearful of Iran than Iran is of him. Biden looks so weak on the international stage.
1: Well, he does, and, and, and it's a case where instead of using our uh, power and and, uh, and and assets to deter others from engaging in behavior we find that but we are deterred by them. And I think his biggest failure ha- has been effectively uh, to accept a near freezing of the defense budget. You know, nominal increases, but given inflation, it's it's mm-hmm. barely keeping up. And in the circumstances we face legislatively, we're falling behind. We we need a significant increase in the defense budget now. You, you know, we also need a significant decrease in our budget deficit. So there's there's a lot of domestic programs that are that are ineffective and peaceful to be gotten rid of. But we need a stronger U.S. defense capability. We face multiple threats around the world, and you know, as as Donald Rumsfeld used to say, it's not American strength that's provocative; it's
0: weakness provocative, and that, that's what we see uh, all too much of today. John, did you get along? You know, I I love Mr. Rumsfeld. He, he was always great to me. Did you get along w- with Rumsfeld? Uh, well, I think I did. He uh, he was never uh,
1: uh, hesitant to give me advice on how to negotiate with the Russians and others. <laughs> but uh, but but he he knew his stuff, and uh, and, and yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's sad he's gone.
0: Yeah, I thought he was a great man. <laughs> he was really good to me. Just as a sidebar, you mentioned. Uh, donald rumsfeld um john let's talk about israel are the biden's going to let israel do the job israel needs to do i mean you read stuff you hear stuff uh, they're trying to micromanage the war they want some more humanitarian aid which means more gaza aid they're telling israel to um to pull in their horns what's going to happen there
1: well, I'm, I'm worried that, uh, that Biden is reacting now more and more to the, to the opposition he sees within his own party and, and amazing statistics and polls that show support for Israel among Americans under 30 is at something like the 25% level. Mm. Whereas um, among mm. Americans older than 50 is 70, 80, 90%. And, uh, I, I'm just stunned by that. I'm sure, uh, the Democrats are even more stunned by it. I don't think backseat driving of the kind that the Biden administration is doing is is any help to anybody. Look, nobody's perfect in war, but I believe the Israelis are, are following the same doctrine, the same principles. We are in a very difficult environment. If, if people make mistakes, they can prosecute them. It doesn't undercut uh, the legitimacy of, of the effort. This is part of Israel's right of self-defense, which includes eliminating the threat that uh, caused uh, October the 7th. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult time for Israel. I think uh, the White House is making a big mistake, notwithstanding the political trouble Prime Minister Netanyahu is in, they're making a big mistake if they don't see how strongly the Israelis feel about this, and, and doing what this coalition cabinet in Israel says is their
0: uh, combined
1: objective, eliminating the Hamas threat.
0: And what is this – the business about a two-state solution and letting the PLA run uh, both the West Bank and Gaza, what's your take on that? Because, I I mean, the the Bidens keep talking about that. among other things, John, it occurs to me that, okay, fine, we can talk about how this is going to parse out later. Let's uh, crush and annihilate Hamas first. But – what, what is so great about a two-state solution? Uh, look, I thought for some time the two-state solution was
1: dead, and if anybody thought it was still kicking after October the 7th, mm. uh, they're, they're, they're even more wrong now. Uh, the Palestinian Authority is corrupt, dysfunctional, and frankly just turns a blind eye to terrorism. There's There's no way you can responsibly say the answer after Hamas is eliminated is to put the Palestinian Authority in charge. In fact, in a way what Biden is saying, the Israeli military should continue to fight and die in Gaza to put the Palestinian Authority in charge. Just play that out in Israel or, or much of the population here in this country that supports Israel. That's a non-starter. I think, I think people have got to look at much bigger solutions. The two-state solution has failed. We need to move on to
0: something else. All right. John Bolton, you're the best of the best. Uh, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. I hope you have a Happy New Year. Thanks for helping me on this show, as you have. Folks, Ambassador John Bolton. People should listen to his advice. I'm Kudlow. We're going to take a break. the other side of the break, we're going to talk some politics with Joe Concha and Mark Simone. What about Iowa? What about Nikki Haley in New Hampshire? What about everything? I'm Kudlow. Christmas Weekend. Our Lord Jesus' birth. Stay with us straight ahead. Much more to do.